0: Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly QA we do live exclusively for our MAPT members. And this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. All right, should we jump into some questions here?
1: Yeah, we got a bunch.
0: All right. So first question up is when writing about research in activity descriptions, would it be too, quote, negative to write about how the experience made me realize that I don't want to do research as a career because I didn't find the day to day enjoyable? Also, would it be appropriate to give a description of the overall project and my part in it? Or is that too resume-esque for an activity description? Scott, what do you think about that?
2: Well, um, I think that um, in terms of the negative part where, where the questioner wants to know, you know, is it, too negative to write about the experiences that they didn't like about it. And I don't, I don't think you don't want to go on and on about how much you hated it. Um, but I think, you know, saying in a in appropriate way, I didn't really connect with the work and, uh, the day to day of it, uh, is fine. Um, I think that's the, so what part, um, And in in terms of the second question, would it be appropriate to give a description of the overall project and my part in it? You know, I don't think you want to go on and on, but a, 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 a short description of the, of the project and your part in it is fine, but that's the what part you want to go on. you got to quickly move on to the, so what, why was this beneficial to you? Why did this help lead you along the path that you're on? Um, that's the key to um activity descriptions as with anything else but uh so that's that's kind of how i approach it probably
0: yeah it's it's interesting for for me a lot of students will use the research experience specifically as the as an uh, an area to discuss i knew i didn't want to do research it led me to want to mm-hmm. be a physician or, or mm-hmm. do clinical medicine um, I, I think there's always this fear that if you talk about research and, and you have a good amount of research that the question is going to come up, well, why don't you just do research? Mm-hmm. And so students feel this like need to go, I knew that I didn't want to do research, which is that negative side that I typically don't right. recommend. And so, but, but then I, I always take it to the extreme of like, well, why don't you mm-hmm. say that you knew you, you didn't want to work at McDonald's your whole life? Why didn't you say that you didn't want to be an EMT your whole life, Right. It, you right, know, you could potentially make that same argument for every uh, extracurricular activity that you did and, and throw in the, well, why did it make you want to be a physician or why did you know you didn't want to do this the rest of your life? So mm-hmm. it, in my mind, it's wasted space um, because it's just really not necessary. You're obviously applying to medical school. You're you're obviously saying you want to be a physician. Lay that out in your personal statement and then tell me about the research and the, 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 the so what.
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that
0: all right um next question here can you please advise on how to get mentorship as a non-traditional student Ooh, hmm. some mentorship as a, yeah, a non-trad
2: yeah that's
1: non-trad. tough
0: okay. non-trads are typically away from uh from institutions from uh, advisors from right uh, research from all that kind of stuff because they're not typically involved <laughs> in, in, in school and in an institution
2: well, I, I think one of the ways is is you have to ask people. They're not just going to show up and say, "Hey, can I mentor you?" Um, I mean, rarely does that happen. But um, so I think anytime you're doing shadowing or clinical experiences, any kind of connection that you get with with someone that you sense would be a good mentor, you have to ask them. You know, and you don't just kind of blurt it out. You I, what I would say is you take them to. You know, can I take you for a cup of coffee? Can we? you know, talk for 10 minutes uh, on a break time or something. And then that's when you approach them with the idea, would you be willing to mentor me a little bit? Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes, uh, especially if they're really busy people, then you have to explain what you mean by mentorship. Because I think sometimes people will tend to go to the extreme and think, oh, this is going to be really busy, you know, this is going to take a lot of time and, yeah. and I don't have time to do that. So you have to give an understanding of what you expect uh, from them. You know, can I meet with you once a you know, once a month, or can I? Can we have email once a month? Yeah, can you know? You, you know, you just kind of lay out what you yeah. what your expectations are, and then let them respond to that. But uh, but I think the big deal is is asking and identifying people in your life, and they don't have to be. You know, it depends on what you want out of a mentoring relationship. If you really want wisdom and and sort of direction in life and things that are more general, then I think that your choice of a mentor doesn't necessarily have to be a clinician or somebody connected to the, um, to the medical school process, uh, depending on what you're, what you're wanting out of that relationship. Um, If you're really wanting guidance in terms of your career choice and in terms of medicine, then yeah, probably needs to be a a healthcare provider uh, that can really mentor you uh, along the way. But, you know, I think, I think really, asking and then making clear what your expectations are is is really important
0: yeah i agree uh next question up what are your thoughts about brand new do schools that won't be accredited until the year before you graduate would that be a barrier to getting into residency especially because complex going pass fail there's a school being built so close to where i am living now that will open fall of 2021 i am planning to matriculate Twenty twenty two. This is always a, a very common yeah. question for, for yeah. students when there's a new school a opening, new school. Up who don't really understand the accreditation process, um, right? Right. Just just to explain the accreditation process is schools apply for what is known as a preliminary accreditation, right? Even they have to get their charter and all that fun stuff to even have a school, um, and then they apply for uh, a preliminary accreditation. And Scott, you can correct Mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong on any of these steps and and basically what happens is LCME uh, is the licensing body through for MD schools and then the AOA is the licensing body for DO schools um, will come in and review all of your processes and all of the kind of administration and curriculum and all of your plans that you have set up um, and say yep you're you're you have your preliminary accreditation you can you can start um, accepting your first class and, and they keep that preliminary accreditation. So to say that they're not accredited isn't true. They are accredited. It's just a preliminary accreditation. Schools, medical schools can't get fully accredited until their first class graduates. Yep. And then they get their, their full accreditation, and then they get into a, a regular cycle of being reviewed um, to continue to keep up that accreditation. So, in, in my mind, there's zero fear, there's zero risk in going to a new school. These these processes are are, are well thought out. They're they're well reviewed. Schools who get preliminary accreditation, unless they're they're uh, uh, greasing the palms of someone <laughs> having <laughs> done what they need to do uh, to, to get everything that they need set up. And, and there's there's zero risk involved. Yeah,
2: I, I agree with that completely. I, I think in in terms of new schools, I think the key for students considering uh, enrolling or applying to a, a brand new medical school is what do you expect to get out of the experience? Um, if you are a groundbreaker kind of person and, and like to be in on the very beginning of things and really be able to build and put your flavor into it. And then that's, that's the kind of people they're looking for. If you're, if you're concerned about uh, well, they don't have a, a, you know, their curriculum is in flux or it's new and we won't know about it. And you know, if all these sort of questions in your mind uh, then, then it may not be the right, right kind of fit for you. Uh, but if you like the idea of being in on the first level and being able to put your brand as a, as a student on, on what's happening in the school and, and, and really then, then that's exciting. If that's exciting to you, then, then that's the, that's, I, I would definitely say go for it in terms of a, a, a brand new medical school, but it's not for everybody. Clearly.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yes. 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 Um, I took the MCAT last September and got a great overall score, but a 123 in cars. I've gotten mixed reviews as to whether to retake it or not. Wondering what your thoughts are and whether uh, I were to not retake it, if if you would suggest any college courses I could take to help show those skills. Interesting follow up question. I don't really I've never seen that question uh, no. as, as yeah. a way to kind of buffer that. Right, we, yeah, we've, we've talked about section scores in general and in, in your time as director of admissions at UT Southwestern, how mm. much were those section scores important or were you looking kind of big picture total score?
2: Well, it kind of depends a little bit. Um, It's more an issue of the overall picture of an application. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were times when we would look at an individual subscore and be concerned about it. Um, In the old days, that was the verbal score, where we would look at you know maybe the total score was was good, uh, or you know pretty good, and then the verbal score was low. Uh, So that was always a concern uh, to to medical. to, to our medical school, at least, and that, when I'm saying low, I mean like really low, and um, so I, I think that schools do look at the sub scores to see, you know, are there any hints of difficulties? Um, I think probably cars, you know, arguably cars is the section of the of the um, the the sub of the of the applic- of the um, MCAT that I think that. More times than not, students don't do as well on and and, and uh, Rachel can can chime in on this too. Uh, cars is a really you know sort of difficult section for some people, particularly if they're science majors and and they don't concentrate on studying for cars as much, which sometimes I think is is a big problem. So, uh, but I I think in terms of this particular student's question. Um, you know, they didn't indicate what the what the overall score was. They said a great overall score, but I don't really know what that means. Um, so I, it's a little bit difficult to answer the question outside of the whole context of everything. You know, uh, what's your GPA? What's where, you know, what's all the other details? Then we can kind of go toward, well, you may want to, you know, retake the, the MCAT or not, but just sort of telling us what CARS is without, Telling us anything else, I, I'm don't feel capable of really answering the question, and and to the to the other part of it, I don't know that, you know, if you got a low score in let's say the the bio biochem section, or, and then you got you got a low low score there, it's not a point. Well, I'll just take another biochem class, and that'll show them that I know biochem. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way, really. So yeah. Anyway.
0: That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, let's see. I want to get involved with research, but I do not have any research experience. What steps can I take in order to get involved with research despite not having any experience? It's it's the what came first dilemma, right? Is mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't have any experience to get the job, but the job requires experience. What the heck do I do to get right. the job? Uh, right. And so... Um, this is this is the the nice thing about typically being on a college campus is a lot of these uh, research labs know that they're getting inexperienced people mm-hmm. uh, for for cheap labor so yeah. um it's just going around and asking and, and keeping yeah. your your eyes open and ears open to what opportunities are out there
2: yeah i agree that's the first step is as a as a student at a university or a college you know you you ask professors, hey, can I can work in your lab or can I take a class that gets me some research experience and then work in your lab or, you know, you have to ask. You have to ask the question. Yeah. That's how it happens.
0: It's how it happens. Nothing will happen if you don't Mm-mm. ask. Mm-mm. Um, so here's our, our first one to throw up on the screen here. Is it a bad idea to talk about what you read or saw in books or documentaries regarding medicine that impacted you in a personal statement? Do I only need to talk about, quote, real life experience? Mm-hmm. So I knew after watching Meredith Gray hook up with Mick Dreamy on <laughs> anatomy that I was destined to be a physician. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: no, no, I don't it.
2: think I don't really think that's what uh, the questioner was talking about. But oh, OK, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think that this is a a thing that you have to be a little bit careful about. Um, But it depends a little bit to me on what is in your application as other, you know, if you have a lot of uh, experience, if you have a lot of uh, clinical hours and stuff like that, then mentioning that you read this in some book or that you saw this on a documentary or whatever can, can... and that is a jumping off point to everything that you've done, then I don't see that as a problem. And and I think it can be done effectively. But if if you're limited in terms of clinical context and stuff, and you make this point, which really highlights that you don't have much clinical experience, then that would be a bad thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, I, I think and it's it's a very common. Uh, question that comes up with students when talking about shadowing in a personal statement, I, I think my, my personal take is that shadowing is one of the weaker experiences to talk about in a personal statement, because it's a very passive experience and you what typically happens is the way that you're writing about the experiences. I saw Doctor Smith do this, and I saw Nurse Jackie do this, and I saw this, and I saw that. I'm like, what's the difference between you saying that and you talking about the TV show that you watched? And, and, yeah. and, and so it's it's a less impactful so what from that, um, mm-hmm. and so it's it's just a, a, a weaker argument typically that can be formed, especially as you mentioned, right? You're using it as a cover for the lack of experience. All right. All right. Oh. Um, <clears throat> Is it possible to graduate in the summer semester and matriculate the following fall? I would be studying abroad in the spring, so my graduation would be pushed to summer. So are they saying summer, let's let's use real dates here, summer of 2022 to start in fall of 2022?
2: I, that's the way I read the question, yeah. and that's not possible. I mean, yeah. Because medical schools don't start in the fall; they start in the summer. Yeah. Um, most medical schools start in June or July. You know the the you know some of the ones that wait a little bit longer, maybe early August. But yeah. you know, a lot of them these days are starting in in start July or July. even June. Yeah. And so, depending on the medical school, but I don't think you need to go into this whole process thinking that's an okay timeline. That's not an okay timeline. I think you would apply. For the if you're graduating in the at the end of the summer, then you would apply to to enter the next summer. That 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 would be the appropriate um, process for that.
0: Well, here's the interesting thing, right? Is that for the most part, you don't technically need a degree, correct, to to matriculate to medical school. So if the student's not taking any classes, they're they're just they're right. Then that's a whole different thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is is the spring? So that. That there's a difference. Are you taking classes still or are you just waiting to walk? Those, those are two right. different things. Right. And, and if it's the latter, if you're just waiting to walk, you're waiting to get that paper, you'll you'll probably be fine. Um, because, you don't. again, you don't technically need that graduation. That's that's usually not a stipulation of matriculation is do you did you get your diploma? They
2: are. Oh, well, I will add to that, however, if you say in your application that you're getting a degree, and you mm-hmm. don't get a good degree they can pull you out of that class for that yep. you do what you say you're gonna do yes. be- so <laughs> be open and say and it, it, if the timeline changes if the classes that you said in the application are going to change or whatever you got to let the medical schools know that yep. hey something's changed this is the new thing and you know just so you're aware because yeah I've seen students get yanked but or be put on a deferral a a forced deferral for a year uh for not following through on uh, on something so yeah yeah
0: a student asks for a hobby i've done since elementary school should i guesstimate the hours from that starting point or only what i've done since the start of college Mm -hmm. all right so this kind of goes back I'll, i'll expand a little bit this goes back to the general rule of thumb for the application for the experiences section that you should only excuse me only include hours post graduation high school graduation yeah and so for a student who has done something for a long time and then continued that into college it's generally considered okay to just go ahead and put the whole time frame in there so Estimate total hours from the very beginning or just college? What do you think, Scott?
2: You know, I would just say do it since since I graduated from high school. I mean, that's that's everything else in the, you know, if anything, you need to be consistent throughout the application with what you're saying. And so, you know, you don't want to confuse the reader or the admissions committee by everything being since high school except for this one thing. And then this one thing is a gajillion hours and they're like, holy cow. You know, they may not read. Yeah. They may not read close enough to really understand, oh, this one is back to when you were three years old or whatever. So I would just say, be consistent and, and just do it since high school, uh, since graduation, graduating from high school, because yeah, you don't want to confuse anybody with what you're trying to say or, you know, whatever. So, it depends a little bit on what it is in terms of a hobby, but I, I don't think that, you know, I, I would just be careful. You don't want to confuse anybody or, or make it seem like you're doing something,
0: you know, wonky kind of way. Yeah. trying to pull a fast one. Mm-mm. Right. Right. Um, I was caregiving for my dad while he had cancer and went to all his doctor's appointments. I had doctors show me how to drain ascites, his tumor growth. Uh, what does this go under, or is it other? I do not know the amount of hours to put because he was under my care twenty four seven. So being a being a care provider, right? Um, yeah, is is something the AAMC has said you you should count that as clinical experience. Yep, I agree. Um, I agree with that. I agree as well. <laughs> So and then it's weird, right? Caregiving is, is weird, especially when it's a family member. It feels a little like cheating, but right. you're, you're in there. You're in the day to day. so Right. Right.
2: Yeah. And in terms of hours, I think you just got to estimate what you think. I mean, I, I don't think you count on it 24-7 in terms of counting it 24-7. Because you're not, you know, 24 hours a day, you're not doing actual care. You know, while you're responsible for them 24-7, yeah. you're not caring for them 24-7. And
0: yeah. So
2: I think you just got to
0: estimate. And, yeah. and I would, I would. Consider that like a, a full time job, like eight yeah, hours a day. Yeah, eight, yeah, yeah. It's a very exactly. common question that comes up. I, I mm-hmm. get a lot with military members. Is right. Technically, I'm a military person, twenty four seven. Do I count right. every every day as twenty four seven? I'm like, no, you don't do that. Right. You're, you're you're technically not working when you're sleeping and and on vacation and all this other stuff. So you just estimate it. Right. Um. <clears throat> If it is a hobby, can I just put zero hours, or is that not allowed? Yeah, zero hours is definitely an acceptable number. Mm-hmm. Um, I would question though if a hobby—if it's a hobby, you're obviously doing it for more than zero hours. So why not put a real number there? I guess yeah, I, I
2: don't. I don't understand. Yeah, I guess this goes back to the other question, but I—I I think you just estimated,
0: and, and
2: you know, maybe estimate on the low side, but. Um, just be conservative with that. And then if a question comes up about it in an interview or something, you can just talk about it and you say, well, I've done it forever. I don't really know how much I've you know, done. I just try to guesstimate and, and, you know, maybe that'll lead to a conversation yep. exactly. with an interviewer.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's the, that's the hope. That's the goal. Yeah. <clears throat> if I got a C plus on my biogenetics class in the fall of 2020, should I have this as a pass fail grade? and retake it in another semester or keep the C Ooh. So, if you change it to pass fail and you retake it, the assumption is you, you did poorly you the first flaunt, time. Around. Yeah, and, yeah. And, well, hopefully they still get a pass, right, for the pass fail. Right, right. Uh, but the assumption is that you were doing very poorly. Poorly, yeah. Um, and, and so, that that is going to be there. Uh, you could keep the C, the C plus, right? It's passing. It's not technically a prereq, so it could be okay. A C plus just hurts your GPA calculations, <clears throat> and, and so can your GPA withhold that C plus? Is it, it with everything else? Are you okay? Um, and it's going to be a little bit of a, a a painful dip, or is it just going to be continuing poor grades and you need to yeah. kind of dig yourself out? If, if you're trying to recover from poor grades, then I potentially would take that pass-fail and just retake it so it doesn't ding my GPA.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, there's several things that come up when I read this question. One is, I think here's a time for reflection. Why did you make a C-plus mm-hmm. in biogenetics? What was going on? Was it just a transition to online or you know, exactly what was going on that? that had you struggling in, in biogenetics and and what are you going to do in a retake to make, make a difference uh, with that. I'm a little surprised uh, that an institution would allow you on the back end to switch it to a pass fail. Uh, I think most schools, you got to say up front what you're going to do and then, and then go with it. Yep. So a, a school allowing you to, after you get the grade to switch it that's a little unusual, but you, you just might want to verify that with your institution to make sure that you understand the process um, and their policies and stuff. But uh, but I agree with you, Ryan. I, I mean, I think that if you're pretty secure with the idea that you can do better than a C plus, um, and all of what I just said about the pass-fail grading at your institution is accurate, then you may want to, you know, I, I would say maybe do a pass-fail and then, Retake it, and you know if you're if you're pretty pretty um, clear that you can do a lot better than that. But yeah, I don't know. That's it's a tough question. Yeah, kind of yeah. also depends on other grades and what your GPA is right now. You know, if 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 you got a three point, you know, if if your GPA, if your science GPA GPA is, is a three point two, then yeah, you may want to. You know do that if it's a 3.7 and this was clearly an anomaly then and you can just chalk it up to covid then i don't know
0: yeah all right uh would it be okay if i get a different master as computer science instead of hard science master of computer science i know it's not to think of plan b but i can't help uh, okay, so the the students asking, um, yeah, can they get a computer science master's instead of a hard science? Uh, and it's it's more of a safety net, right?
2: Right, um, right. It,
0: it depends on why you're doing the master's to begin with, right? If you're doing a master's because you need to show academic capability, a computer science degree likely isn't going to show that. Now, computer right. science are. It's, it's not easy, but uh, it's not science. It's not, mm-hmm. All right. right. Uh, so I, I think if the student is already questioning whether or not they should be doing computer science versus medical school, then there are some bigger discussions that need to be had with this student.
2: I agree. Yeah, completely. It's uh, It would not be acceptable if you're doing it for a post back kind of, kind of reason to as a GPA booster or whatever. Um, I, I think that would not, get you where you want to go. And, uh, but, you know, I understand the idea of plan B and, and needing to have some, you know, some ideas of what might happen afterwards if you don't get into medical school. But yeah, in terms of the goal of medical school, the, the master in computer science is not gonna help, not going to help. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unless you want to go into like bioinformatics or something.
0: Yeah. Informatics is a, is a huge new kind of field in medicine. Yeah. It's, a, it's a whole medical subspecialty. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: And that, that might be an, uh, you know, if, if you're interested in computer science, yeah. uh, then that might be a direction to go, uh, do a master's degree in bioinformatics. And that could lead a number of different directions. It could be helpful getting into medical school, but it could, could also lead to a whole new, you know, sort of ca- career trajectory, in and of itself that you didn't anticipate. So I would check out bioinformatics
0: if I were you. you. Uh, time to predict. <laughs> uh, All right. Was... Predict the future. Do you think <laughs> interviews will be virtual again this upcoming cycle? Uh, my prediction is yes. I, I think I think there potentially will be more schools. There, there were a couple of bonehead schools this year. That did in person interviews, um, and I completely disapprove of that. Um, I think there will be more schools that will do in person interviews this year, but I think the majority will be virtual again this year. Yeah, I agree with that.
2: I think, and and Mike, my, you know, we've talked about this before, Ryan. But my my feeling is that here is a grand opportunity for medical schools to traject themselves into the the into this twenty first century. And uh, recognize that there's a lot of, you know, value, you know, to um, to the virtual uh, world. And uh, and and also it saves a ton of money, both both for the medical school and for the students. I mean, it's a it's a money saver on both ends of things. Now there are certain disadvantages to it, and I get that. You, you don't get them on your campus. You, it's the recruiting is a totally different thing, and and you really don't give them the feel of things. So I, I get the, I get all that. But I so to this question, I, I think there's going to be a lot of schools, probably the majority, that'll be doing virtual interviews this year as well. Yeah.
0: Go America. Still can't figure out COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're number one. <laughs> <laughs> Is general <laughs> uh, is general oh, sorry, everybody, it's so frustrating. It's so it's one of the most frustrating things. right? Uh, Even yeah. like for me personally, with my background in it, it, being the public health emergency officer in the Air Force. Right. I did exercises. We train for this stuff. We yes. literally would take a week out of our our schedule and train for this, and get everybody on the base involved. And we need to mass inoculate everyone and hand out medications to everyone. How do we do this? And how, like, yeah. And and, and I understand the north, the general population doesn't do that, but there are experts out there who know how to do this stuff. And we we still can't figure it out.
2: Well, apparently, and I'll you know just I won't go too far on this, but apparently the previous administration left some instructions, like a whole binder full of instructions and stuff on this. But anyway, who knows? We're like not
0: know. pictures.
2: Yeah, apparently, Dr. Seuss wasn't involved. <laughs> so,
1: well, this leads us to a very germane question. Um, so I'll let you read it, Ryan. <laughs> is
0: general disaster recovery casework experience considered clinical experience. This is a volunteer work reaching out to disaster clients and assisting them through their recovery, connecting them with a variety of resources to recover.
1: And so for context, we always keep these question askers anonymous, but I believe I know the student and I think um, they might be referring specifically to hurricane recovery in Puerto Rico, although I'm, yeah. I am guessing.
0: That's mm. that's what my guess would be is, is hurricane, uh, post-hurricane recovery. Um, I wouldn't consider that. clinical experience.
2: No, me either. I, I mean, I think it's great experience and awesome that would, you would definitely want to talk about in your application, but I, I don't think it, I, yeah, I don't see it as clinical
0: experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, as, as you said, Scott, it's not to diminish that experience and, and diminish, uh, what, role it plays in in showing who you are as a person, especially if you can right. talk about it appropriately. Right. Uh, there are a lot of great intangibles that come from that sort of experience and, and tangible things on on how to deal empathetically with people who are going through horrific times. Right. It's it's one of those few things that rival someone going through um, a health crisis is a, a disaster where you <laughs> lose your house and and everything. Uh, your whole sense of being, and and where do you go from there? It's 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 one of the few things that that rivals um, poor health and and a bad diagnosis of something. So, lots of good skills that can come from it to help you later on as a physician, right? But not clinical experience, right? And, and to expand on that, you don't need, and, and this is my point of view, you don't need to go well as a general disaster recovery caseworker uh, this prepared me to be a physician because of X, Y, Z, right? You don't need to tie everything you do to why it's going to help you as a physician. Right. Oh, yeah. I am doing a healthcare related internship in the summer. Should I put it on my application or wait for secondaries or updates? so tmdsas right we'll mm-hmm. we'll do tmdsas first because they're mm-hmm. different right mm-hmm. talk about that and how you can update i think you can update activities with yeah
2: activities. you can update um tmdsas they'll ship it to the schools you know pretty pretty quickly uh, i mean within a day or two mm-hmm. uh so you you can definitely update uh stuff like that and they'll send it on to the medical schools AMCAS, and they come a little bit different than that um i would say uh, I wouldn't put it on your application as if you, I mean, I would put it on your application, but make it, make it clear that this was, this, that you, well, okay, let me just say this. It depends on when you submit your application. Correct. So if you start, you know, if you're submitting, and this may be a cause for wanting to delay your submission by maybe a couple of weeks, yeah. not a whole long time. But until you after you start the internship so that you can get it on the application as a current thing. Yep. So now if you're not starting it until August or something, then yeah, that I wouldn't necessarily delay that long. But if yep. you know, I, I would look at your timeline and see so that you can get it on there. But I I, I think I think I'd I'd delay, I'd be willing to delay that application uh, submission a little bit if if you were able to, to get that on there because mm-hmm they're not going to allow you to put a future date as the begin date on an event uh, or an an activity. So, you know, they, they won't project into the future. There are questions on the application that say, what are you going to do between now matriculation um, that you can put it on there. But if you want to get it on as a real thing, you might want to delay a little bit.
0: Yeah. And and just to clarify that last point, it's a very common secondary application question is what are are you going to do? Yeah,
2: exactly. That's right. Um, Yeah. That's right.
0: I worked for a research lab for a couple of years and started out doing clinical research, but transitioned over the time to more of an administrative PR role, but still doing some educational research through it. Would the switch from clinical to non-clinical look poorly if asked about it? Hmm, hmm. It's a very, very common question that comes up for students who... Are in some sort of clinical role and then go to admin uh, mm-hmm. because they're good at their job and they're good right. people, people, persons, uh, whatever that word is, um, and good leaders, etc. So, a lot of students are fearful of of taking kind of the, the quote unquote promotion because it's less clinical experience. But there's nothing to say that you can't take on that bigger role, administrative role that that will give you other skills and then go find some clinical experience on the side to. Kind of bolster that
2: yeah and i also think that you know a good way to keep in touch even at the same place <clears throat> is is negotiate with the with the management and say i'm willing to take on this administrative role um as long mean? as yeah as long as i'm able to do x y and z or you know as can i continue to do my uh, research role for a day a week or for, you know, can I continue to have this contact with this person or, you know, negotiate with them. And, yeah. you know, depending on what kind of, um, you know, if they really want you to step into this administrative role, then, and you're good at it, then, then use that uh, to your advantage and, and negotiate with them about how you can stay in contact with the, with the uh, research and, and with the uh, clinical stuff and whatever.
0: Yep. Agreed. all right how consistent does my clinical experience have to be i started earning clinical experience full-time in december of 2020 and will be applying in 2022 for the 2023 class i'm trying to juggle full-time in the hospital with post classes while still working my valet job in downtown las vegas thank you oh i
2: want to i want that job
0: (laughs) probably lots of nice cars to park yeah right yeah Yeah, this is something I talk about a lot. Is is some consistency instead of Mm -hmm. going? Okay, I have a full time job. uh, I got six months in. That's a thousand hours. I'm good to go. I don't need anything else. Let me go Mm -hmm. focus on everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, What What are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I'd rather see. So let me see. It's a full time clinical experience. Full time. I'd rather see you do part time clinical experience for the for the all the time, if, if that's possible. Uh, then do full time for a you know x number of months and then move on. Uh, I, I agree with you, Ryan, com- completely that consistency is really important and uh, and showing that you know this is because if you do it the way you're talking about, it, it's it 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 smacks of checkbox. Okay, check that box now I'm out of there I'm on to something else. Yeah. and you don't want to give that sort of checkbox kind of mentality any kind of validity in your application. so, Because my expectation is um, that the reason you're working the valet job in Las Vegas is it, it pays well, which a lot of valet jobs do, particularly in, in a in a city like that and in downtown and all that. My guess is that you get really good tips and, and that, you know, you don't want to do without that because it's what's paying the bills. But um yeah, I think juggling stuff you need to really, you know, work on, um, you know, your timeline as well as what, you know, commitment to what you're doing and stuff like that and see if maybe you could do part time at both of them instead of full time, you know, one or the other. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible, but, you can, you know, check it out.
0: Yeah. The, the other thing is that the student is doing a post back. Are they doing it? Because they're trying to improve their grades. And if they are, then having full-time clinical, part-time valet jobs, right. taking classes, then the question is, are those grades going to start slipping? And so making sure you're setting yourself up for success and, and not coming out of the, the start yeah. too fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I think that's all we got. that it oh here we go oh here's one more i intended to be a scribe but did not pass the training i did have eight training shifts where i went through the motion of being a scribe with a trainer this amounted to about 64 hours of scribing would it be worth it to put this on my application or are the hours too low
2: so i have an opinion about
0: this i I was gonna go first (laughs) okay go ahead no i wasn't gonna go first no no no, no, no there was there was something about how the student said, I went through the motions of being a scribe with the trainer. That -hmm. tells me they probably aren't going to have any impactful, like, so what kind of experience from this. So that kind of throws out a little bit of a red flag. And maybe they didn't really mean that when they wrote the question. So uh, that was just something that stood out to me. Go ahead. Now your turn.
2: Well, similar thing. To to me, there's there's red flags all over this question. Um, if you put this on your application and you say 64 hours of scribing and that's it, my, as a, as a interviewer, my first question would be, what the heck, why aren't you doing scribing now? Why only 64 hours over the course of a few months or weeks or whatever? And, and what are you going to say to that? I mean, how do you go there? Well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't I didn't, pass, didn't pass I didn't pass the training well that's yeah. a big red flag so I would leave it off completely yeah. I mean and obviously this is a real uh, time for reflection why didn't you pass the training what was going on I mean there, there there's some deep stuff here that you need to uncover what's going on with this that you need some some severe reflection and you may need somebody to help you think through all this uh, because you may not be able to uncover all of it just in and of in and of yourself. So you need an advisor or somebody to help you think through what what's going on here. Why did all this occur? And, uh, you know, what, what can you take away from it? But in terms of the application, I'd leave it off.
0: Yeah. And, and when I, when you say do some reflection, in my mind, I think they need to do a lot of reflection, even potentially before continuing on this pre-med path. Yeah. Is, yeah. Did they not, and, and not to say that, that, Scribe training is easy and the test is easy. There's a lot of stuff you have to know, both um, from medical terminology, to being mm-hmm. able to use the EMR, to uh, being able to type at a, at a fast enough pace. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into it that I, I don't doubt that. And, and that's where the reflection comes into it. Right? right. Is it a typing speed issue? Did you just not study the medical terminology well enough? Those are easy things potentially that can be fixed. Was it a, a lack of uh, passion. where were you mm. bored? Were you just not excited about being there? Because right. if if you're not excited about being a scribe, then who's gonna <laughs> you're gonna be excited about being a physician? Because let me tell you, it's not that much better to be a physician, right? You you are the one interacting with with the the patients, but it's a lot of doldrums. It's a lot of entering stuff in a chart and and doing that sort of boring uh, administrative stuff. It's not yeah. all fancy work as a physician, and so. If you were turned off from being a scribe, and I'm not saying you were, I'm just saying this is where the reflection comes in. Um, then, then really is is that's where you need to go with the the question asking.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and they said it was freshman year, hard time adjusting, was taking on too much, mm. and and so that's, that's okay. Very, that makes sense. Very yeah. Response, right? And, yeah, absolutely. I will stick by the thing I always say is is the most common mistake that freshmen make is taking on too much. They're adjusting mm-hmm. to college life. They're adjusting to, for the first time, just going to the, the start of of classes being handed a syllabus, being handed your test dates and going, okay, good luck, see, see yeah. you at your test for most classes. You're yeah. being given homework every night. You're not having your hand held every time. You're mm-hmm. away from home potentially for the first time. And then on top of that, you're you're trying to fit in socially for the first time, culturally for the first time. and And, and then you are going, well, I'm also pre-med, so I need to do all these pre-med things and, and mm-hmm. everything comes crashing down.
2: Well, I'm glad that the student has done sounds like some reflection yep. and all that, but I, I stick with my guns on the other thing. I'd leave it off. I would okay. I wouldn't put it on the
0: application. Yep. Not not worth the questions. Mm-hmm. No. Agree.
1: All so right. Awesome. I th- think that takes us to the end of episode
2: thirty-two. Woohoo! Well, this is a fun hour. I mean, those are good questions.
0: So happens when you're live from the Hollywood studios. Right. Oh my god. Good times. Thanks everyone for coming. As always.
1: I want to thank Wilkie Wilkie for making a guest appearance in the Oh, did he really? (laughs) Yeah, but he jumped up in the middle and was like burrowing under the pillow. Nice. I I wonder how many other people are charmed by that. (laughs)
2: he's a good he's a good boy he's been sleeping all day so he's
1: (laughs) all right so uh i see a couple last questions coming in we are done go ahead and post those when i post the uh the event for next week and we'll get to you then
0: yeah sounds good all right
1: right, take care everybody
0: Bye. bye this is dr gray again closing out i hope you learned something from our session today If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.